This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The price of prescription drugs in the U.S. is notoriously high. Americans spend two to three times more than people in other countries. And some medication can cost thousands of dollars per month. Later this hour, we'll be talking about some tools and tips for navigating those costs. But first, what kind of strain does this put on people who are trying to afford medication? And how did we even get here in the first place? Joining us now is Dan Wiseman, who's host of An Arm and a Leg podcast, a show about the cost of healthcare. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks, Sasha. Good, Good to, to see, you. see you in person. Also here, Edwin Muldrow, who's a pharmacist and owner of the independent pharmacy Delcar in North Lawndale. Welcome, Edwin. Good afternoon. So, Dan, I'll start with you. Tell us your experience filling prescriptions. What's that been like? Oh, uh, well, gosh, what day are we talking about? <laughs> I, you know, there was a there was a day when, as a journalist, I was like, oh, this is a bit of a story. Um, I had a prescription, something I've been taking a long time, generic medicine. Uh, I got a call, an automated call from Walgreens that said, hi, you know, this is Walgreens and your prescription is ready and your price will be $720 and some cents. Yikes. And, you know, I was used to paying like 20 bucks. Uh, and I realized, oh, you know, it's the it's January. Our insurance changed. Maybe they don't have the new insurance and this is the uninsured price. And still, I was like, I mean, this is like an old generic drug. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this You thought is- it was a joke. Well, I didn't think it was a joke. I thought it was good material, though. So I made sure, to, like, I called them back and had them play the. I, I wrote, called the robot back and had it play that message back into my <laughs> recorder because I was like, "That's good material right there." Um, but and I looked at uh, a site called GoodRx, which offers discounts on drugs to see, like, well, well, well it, just in case, like, what would I be out for here? And the range of prices it showed me at that time. I think it, it's a little different now, but at that time it showed me you know, what the kind of sticker price would be at any pharmacy I'd go to and what the near me and what the price with their coupon would be. Right. And the range was bananas. It was far less. It was, well, yeah, yeah, I could pay 20 bucks at Costco or I could pay up to 720 bucks at Walgreens or 300 and some at CVS without a coupon. Mm. It was wild. And it left me curious uh, about something I thought I'd, this was kind of early in the days of doing the show about the cost of healthcare. I thought like, Drug prices is so – everything I could read about it seemed so complicated. Yeah. Well, give us a sense because I know you've looked into this yeah. a lot. What drugs are the most expensive? Oh, and, man. And what I, conditions I, do they treat? I, I defer. You here. defer to our pharmacist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Edwin. Yes. Um, the antivirals are pretty much the uh, – what do you say? The Cadillac or the Rolls Royce of the pharmacy industry. Then antivirals. Ha- antivirals. Then you have your um, your antineoplastics if you're a cancer patient. So these are the, the medications that are really, what do you say, uh, unattainable. Mm-hmm. Then you have your, uh, your asthma inhalers, some of the uh, newer inhalers, not the traditional ones like the albuterols. And then, of course, you have your insulin medications. So those are pretty much the categories where you're going to see that sticker shock. Yeah. Well, you know, the Kaiser Family Foundation found that about three in 10 adults actually don't fill their prescriptions because they can't afford it. How often do you hear customers tell you that? So we'll go back to what we're just talking about, the the automated system from Walgreens. So as an independent drugstore, I deal directly with the patient. So when a patient gets that sticker shock, they're looking me dead in the face. So it becomes a personal issue. So when you can hide behind that that uh, AI, whatever you want to call it, it's a different experience. So I, f- I feel it. 
So, you know, one of the things I try to promote is have the patient go back to the doctor and say, look, talk with the doctor, talk to the office, because they have incentives that the pharmaceutical companies will give them. They have coupons or uh, discounts that we as pharmacists don't have access to. Really? So I try that route first. So, you know. So the doctor can get it for you for cheaper? Well, the pharmaceutical companies, so they used to promote within the pharmacies to incentivize uh, patients to say, look, if you come here with this drug, uh, we have this discount that you can use towards your medication. Right. But now they empower the doctor's office and the whole physician experience. So now the sales reps deal directly with the doctor's office. So if you ask the doctor or the nurse that you pretty much are dealing with, Mm -hmm. you say, well, look, I've been to the pharmacy uh, I got a sticker shock on this medication, but it's important that I take this medicine. Do you have some type of assistance program that you might have readily available that I can, aff- that you, you know, can utilize? And then you'll be surprised that the doctors will produce something because it's still business. They don't want to lose your customer, your patient base. So I just speak on the pharmacy side, but I'm yeah. also a businessman. So I challenge that business aspect of it. Interesting. Dan, what reasons do... Um pharmaceutical companies give for the cost of prescriptions being so high? Oh, well, they say, oh, gosh, you know, we have to develop new drugs and it's super expensive. And, uh, you know, we don't not every drug that we test is a drug we can end up selling. So we got to get everything we can when we can. I did a little homework and I didn't bring the spreadsheet with me. But, you know, I I last night I kind of I was like, well, how, what are we talking about? Because, you know, they, these are publicly traded companies. They list their profits on an annual statement. They also list what they spend on research and development. And there was there was one company among the kind of 10 with the biggest kind of profits in dollar amounts mm-hmm. where the amount that they spent on R&D was comparable to the amount of profit they took. Not that, they, not that all of that profit was taken up by R&D, but that the amount that they came back with on top of everything was comparable. The amount of R&D they got was comparable. Others, they were like 13%, 6%. You know, they would get. The, in other words, the they would the amount they spent on R and D might be six percent of what of their total revenue for the year, but their profit margin might be forty five percent for the year. In other words, it's not like they're just scraping by because they're spending so much on research and development. Mm-hmm. They're spending some on research and development, and they're making enormous profits. So. I don't feel too bad for them. We're we're paying for yeah. it. Yeah. There's a there's a middleman here that plays a crucial role in the sticker shock that we've been talking yes. about. Explain who the pharmacy benefit managers are <laughs> and how and if you can sum up quickly how they work with pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. I'll do my best. I'll be as fast as I can. Okay. Essentially, pharmacy benefit managers sit in the middle of every transaction around every drug. And so including with the pharmacist, right? But the in some ways the most important is between them and the the pharmaceutical companies. They're essentially executing insurance for pharma, for drugs. And so they go to all the drug manufacturers and they say, tell us your best price. You know, we want, we want to, and, and if you give us the best price, we'll put you on our formulary. That's the list of drugs that your insurance will actually cover. There might be four or five drugs for high blood pressure or cholesterol, and you're insurance company will say like, well, take this one and it's like five bucks a month. You take that one, it's a hundred or Mm -hmm. 200 for you. Here's the thing. The pharmacy benefit managers are not negotiating discounts 
with the pharmaceutical companies. They're not saying, give us your best price. You say your sticker price is 1000 give it to us for 200 Instead, they're saying, give us a rebate, cash. We buy this from you for $1,000. You give us $800 cash. And that creates an incentive for the pharmaceutical company to jack up that sticker price, the list price, as high as possible. Because if I raised my if I raised my sticker price now to two thousand dollars, I can give you an eighteen hundred dollar rebate. Wow. And still get my two hundred dollars, Edwin. I, I saw your chuckle there. I I, I want to know first of all what it's like for you working with these pharmacy benefit managers and how that impacts your day to day and the price you can charge. So to be perfectly clear, I have no direct contact with a pharmacy benefit manager. They're just there, and so we just have to navigate. But the whole construct of the PBMs, pharmacy benefit manager, is that it was created by the pharmaceutical companies. So if there was some independent or some community input into the creation and the inceptions of the PBM, you would have uh, more transparency, which there's not right now. Um, I like, I like in the, here in Illinois, the Citizens Utility Board. So you have buy-in and input of your legislators, the community, so therefore we can get to the root cause of why these prices are so high. But this is a system, again, that was created by the pharmaceutical companies. So they're controlling all aspects of it. So we as citizens, even as independent business business owners, we don't know what's going on. They Mm. just tell us, like, okay, this is your reimbursement. But you can't challenge it. So I would like to see the whole process to be modified, like uh, make it more like a a mortgage uh, – a title company yeah. where you have the, the seller, you have the buyer, and then you have the, the lender. But you have your legal representation. So the title company is the independent arbitrator that's making sure the playing field is, is fair for everybody so therefore we can conclude a fair and equitable transaction. But it's not so with the pharmacy benefit management company. So if we're going to talk about the pricing, let's talk with the, the, the root cause of it because – that's been the death knell for as neighborhood drugstores like myself. Yeah, is that how can you compete? So if you have a, uh, for instance, an asthma inhaler that costs six hundred dollars, but you're going to reimburse me three hundred ninety eight dollars for it, how do I make up the loss for what I'm paying for this medicine to provide that service for a patient? But if you are a big box retailer and you're buying hundreds of thousands, yeah, then you can negotiate price, and then you probably are getting it at that $400, $390 range. But us independents who are buying from independent wholesalers, we don't have that luxury. So the playing field is not even fair. It's just, it's just I, don't, I don't even know what the word is. Yeah. But, but Well, I want to dig more into that. You, you own an independent pharmacy, and, and you're one of the few left in Chicago. You operate in yeah. North Lawndale, as I mentioned, where there are – few chain pharmacies Mm -hmm. to begin with. Lay out why you think having an independent pharmacy can be beneficial for for the community. So we just talk about COVID and pandemic. I was deemed a central service business. So I closed on Sunday, but I was open every day. So I was still continuing to provide service. And, you know, I have a front-end business where we do groceries. So I'm right on the front lines. So I watched the big change. Some of them were, you know, 
dealt with, uh, I don't want to use the words, but, you know, they, they suffered losses. Mm-hmm. And by me being rooted in the community, you know, I can do delivery to some of my elder patients around there. So it's just we just serve a niche role for the people in the community. But now you look at the uh, the big box pharmacy. They're moving more into uh, mail-order pharmacy. So you're talking about the cost of just paying for a pharmacist, paying for a technician, your insurances, rent if you have to deal with that. But then your reimbursements are so low from the PBM. So how do you stay open and provide business if you can't even become profitable mm-hmm. to just to sustain yourself? So, you know, it's like, what do you do? So and- I, I probably say the reason why that we've been in business for 63 years is that my father was smart enough to to buy our property. So I'm not paying the rent. You know, all ah. I just need to do is pay my, my property taxes and my uh, commercial insurance, and that sustains me. But if you're trying to open up a new independent drugstore to serve a community, uh, the, the buy-in from the uh, – your your wholesalers, you know, you have to show so much money in, up front in cash. Right. Then you got to find a location. And so where you're going to pay rent, you're going to buy. So these are the other factors outside Additional of the reimbursements. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I said that these big boxes are, are slowly kind of moving into mail order pharmacy mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it just comes down to cost. Yeah. Anything to add, Dan? Uh, so, well, one a couple of things. One is some of those big box pharmacies are also pharmacy benefit managers. CVS. <laughs> CVS. Uh, is part of CVS Caremark. Caremark is mm-hmm. the pharmacy benefit manager, which is also the same corporate entity as Aetna Insurance, mm-hmm. right? So that yeah. and that and the insurance company and that all of the three biggest pharmacy benefit managers are owned by insurance companies. So Express Scripts is owned by Cigna, uh, mm-hmm. Optum RX is the other big one owned by United Healthcare, and they have an incentive to actually call you as a patient and say like, "Hey, Sasha, how'd you like to get your prescriptions by mail?" We'll keep it all in-house. Mm. Well, you know what else I wanted to ask you, Dan? President Biden, he signaled that he wants to have Medicare-negotiated drug prices. And in doing so, lower the drug prices for everyone. How much of an impact could that have? A lot. A lot. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act, and here I'm like, oh, I should have done my homework and done all the numbers. <laughs> the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which was the big package that the Congress passed last summer, includes a provision saying Medicare will be able to, in a few years, negotiate prices on a certain number of drugs with manufacturers. And it's the first time Medicare has ever been empowered to negotiate for drug prices. So this is this is going to ha- this may have some effect on what those of us who are not on Medicare pay for drugs. It's going to have a giant impact on the country's finances mm-hmm. because currently there's no limit, right, to what Medicare might pay for prescription drugs. Um, the, com- the drug companies charge price X and Medicare it. Mm-hmm. In other countries, right, where governments generally provide health care, governments negotiate directly with pharmaceutical companies and say, if you want to sell your drug, you know, to us to distribute to our people, well, we got to talk about price. And if it's not, you know, if we don't like the price, we may not provide that drug. We can't, we're not convinced that it's going to provide the benefit that it, that you say it does. We yeah. may not make it available. What specific changes would you like to see, Edwin, from the federal government? So just to kind of piggyback on what he just said. So Senator, uh, former Senator Max Bacchus from Montana, he was the architect of the Affordable Care Act. And in order for him to get the 60 votes that he needed to pass it, he had to strip out single-payer language. So 
with a single pair of option, that eliminates all the different actors that are involved. So now you can just deal with one person, one, one entity and negotiate price. Just recently, Senator, former Senator Max Bacchus is now talking about single payer. So in 2009, it wasn't, uh, what do you say, apropos to bring it up? Yeah. And then you see the different pharmaceutical companies, I'm sorry, the insurance companies from Humana, Aetna, Caremark, where they've been the staples of Wall Street as far as profitability and, and, and Washington lobby. But now the man that was the architect of it is now promoting single payer. So, yes, it, it, it has brought us to this point, but it needs to be modified. And that's why I use that example of, uh, let's call it like a, uh, a title company at a, at a mortgage company, but I'll, I'll even go a step further. So you use, like I'm, I love football, NFL football. So you have an NFL commissioner. Mm-hmm. The NFL commissioner is hired by the owners. Right. So the commissioner is supposed to be there for the good of the game, but he's paid by the owners. So that's the PBMs. The PBMs was created by the pharmaceutical companies, so they're supposed to represent the people, but it's serving the purpose it of the So that's why I say you <laughs> need this. Except it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. You need this Citizens Utility Board. Have the community with a buy-in, then we can start getting to some more affordable prices. Yeah. Edwin Muldrow is a pharmacist and owner of Delcar Pharmacy in North Lawndale. Thank you so much for your time, Edwin. Pleasure. We've also been talking with Dan Wiseman, who's host of the healthcare podcast, An Arm and a Leg. Now, he's going to stick around as we continue to talk about best practices for navigating prescription drugs and finding more affordable options. That's just ahead on Reset. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Prescription drugs are expensive, but if you find a coupon, they can slash those high costs, sometimes by over half. So how do those coupons work, and what are the other ways that you can save yourself a buck? Still with us, Dan Wiseman, who's host of An Arm and a Leg podcast, and joining us now, Kristen Shores, health and county government reporter for WBEZ. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So these pharmacy coupons, they are out there. I've seen them. I've used one before. Uh, my bill, it went, I remember, from around 120 to 10 bucks, That's awesome. Which was shocking. The pharmacist actually recommended it to me because I was like, what? What do you want me to do with this $120 bill? Um, but I understand you've also used them, Kristen. So how did how do they work exactly? Well, I haven't used these coupons. I've worked. I've used these other strategies. I'm going to mention, but ah. I know of people who've used these. So basically, like GoodRx is an example. Yes, it allows you. That's what I used. Yeah. So it allows you to compare the cost of drugs at different pharmacies, and then you take that coupon and you take it to the pharmacy. Um, I was searching online of a bunch of different kinds of drugs the other day, and so for like a common blood pressure drug. A coupon brought the price down to like a dollar for a 30-day supply, wow. which is obviously great. Um, but for other like specialty drugs or really high-cost drugs like insulin, for example, it's not a deal. You still want to go through, if you have health insurance, you still want to use that health insurance. Because that's the other thing. GoToRx doesn't allow you to use your health insurance. Mm. So if you have it, you can't use that in conjunction with a coupon. Um, so that's kind of that's what I found yeah. is just depending on the kind of drug you need. Well, Dan, let's dig more into GoodRx because I, I in, immediately I questioned whether it was a scam, but <laughs> I mean, th- but it's like too the, good to be true, right? A dollar for they, thirty they're, days. They're legit, but there are privacy concerns with GoodRx. So walk us through what we should keep in mind when we use these coupons. So a couple things. One, Kristen, you mentioned the big one, which is uh, two big ones, right? One is GoodRx doesn't always get you a deal that's that good. Um, even when it's a big reduction, like I talked with someone last year who uses a, a drug for rheumatoid arthritis called Enbrel, which is like a, a, the list price of Enbrel is $12,000 a month. 
on GoodRx, she can get it for half, $6,000 a month. Who can afford $6,000 a month? You yeah. know, nobody. Right. Other other medications like insulin or certain ADHD drugs, also there's practically no discount. So, okay, that's not exactly a cure-all. And that's the other thing is when you spend, when you pay for medication with GoodRx, it doesn't count toward your insurance deductible. Your insurance doesn't kick in. And also, uh, insurance, right? Uh, do we have half an hour to talk about how insurance works? <laughs> I, I wish. We it's awesome to have another long <laughs> We could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> but, yeah. basically, but basically, there's, a, there's about 50 different ways that your insurance is essentially giving, telling you, like, well, you're going to pay this. For instance, your deductible. That's how much you spend at the start of the year before your insurance pays anything. Yeah. And a lot of people have a special deductible for pharma. So maybe. And so now it all depends on you. Maybe you don't have a deductible for pharma. Your insurance is going to kick in right away. Or you don't want to spend money you know, that's, that's gonna, that where they could be helping you out instead. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a deductible of $1,000, and you're not thinking like, well, okay, I need this drug right now. for They want to charge me 100 bucks for it, but I don't, I'm never at the pharmacy. I don't need medicine that much. I'm not going to pay that $1,000. I don't want to be in that position. Great. Let's use this GoodRx coupon. Yeah. I'll get my discount today. I'm not going to worry about it if I— you know, if my life changes and I need a bunch of medicine, that's going to be a whole other set of adjustments. If you scroll through Twitter, Kristen, uh, looking at conversations about pharmacy coupons, you see lots of folks bringing up, well, why do you have to ask for them? Why aren't they just offered? Yeah, wouldn't that be easy? What's your sense of that? <laughs> well, um, I think I, I bet you it depends on which pharmacy you go to, right? Not every pharmacist is the same person or has the same idea about how much you should pay. I was so grateful to that lady that was like, hey— you can use this because otherwise I had no idea what my options were. Right. And I mean, I think it also depends. Like I've been in a situation where I was going to a pharmacy every 30 days to get a re-up on a prescription, right? And then I found out through my doctor, she was like, why don't you just do 90-day mail order? Mm -hmm. Why are you going to the pharmacy every 30 days? That person at the pharmacy at the time told me, don't do mail order. It's slow. It won't. It's not going to be effective. You're not going to get your medicine in time. So I thought that because that's what that person told me. This was years ago, right? Yeah. Now I only do 90-day supply. It's not only um, cheaper than a 30-day supply in a lot of cases. I mean, you're buying in bulk. It's like going to Sam's Club, Costco, whatever, right? You're buying in bulk. So you're getting a better deal, and then you don't have to go to the pharmacy every 30 days. It's convenience. Who wants to do that? That was one of the tips I was going to say is, Mail order every 90 days if you can. Mm. And if you can, depends on what you're ordering, right? If you right. need insulin and you live in this place like Chicago where several months out of the year you don't want – and you don't you don't get a, your post your postal worker doesn't ring the doorbell every time you're not home to answer it. Yeah. You don't want that sitting out in the sun, right? Or you might live someplace where you, your packages aren't secure. You don't know who might just wonder what's inside and take it. So, it, it again, everything kind of – there is no – Everything's mm. a choose-your-own-adventure in this country. Like, there's no, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Yeah, it's technically illegal to import medicine, but oh, yeah, there that. are ways to order medicine online, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can order medicine. So there's, you go there's, through your pharmacy, like Express Scripts yeah. you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So there's ordering medicine um, through your own pharmacy in this country, and that's, there's nothing illegal about that. You can ship it through the mail. There, I mean, one of the other things that you can do is there are pharmacies in Canada— that will ship to U.S. addresses. It's technically illegal, but apparently enforcement is fairly lax. Mm. So I hear. Uh, <laughs> not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but yeah, uh, passing on a tip. Sasha has lived in Canada. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I may have a Canadian address. 
or two or three or ten. Um, okay, so uh, Kristen, shopping around, we know for the best price, that's a no-brainer. What other tips can you give? What's the best way to do that? Where does yeah. someone begin? Yeah, so definitely shop around because your doctor doesn't necessarily know, you know, which pharmacy is going to cheaper be cheaper for you. I recently had a thing where I was going through a pharmacy and then I found another one that was a third of the price. A third. Why would I not do that, right? Um, so shop around, definitely buy in bulk. Ask for generic or alternatives. If you find that the medicine that your doctor wants you to get is outrageously expensive, mm-hmm. go back to your doctor and say, is this the generic? Um, can you give me an alternative? Can something else work too? Yeah. I would also um, ask if it's cheaper if you don't use your health insurance. So I'm not talking about a coupon like GoodRx. I'm just saying go to the pharmacy and say, how much would this be if I didn't use my insurance? Because in a lot of cases, the drug is actually cheaper really? if you just pay out of pocket. Yeah, there, I would ask that. Um, I was also going to say there's something called manufacturer coupons. It's a little bit different. So say um, you have health insurance, and but they don't cover like a newer drug that's really expensive. You can still, you go straight to the manufacturer and they will give you essentially a coupon and they'll say, hey, we'll give this to you like a tube of ointment for a hundred bucks for a 30 day supply. Um, Now that, so that's a way for you to be able to access that drug. There are caveats with that. A lot of the manufacturer coupons, they have time limits on them. So maybe it's for a year. Mm. So then you're going to have to find another drug because you're not going to pay like 12 grand out of pocket, right? Um, Or or, or you'll renew it for a year. I mean, we've done this in in our family where it's like, this is good for a year. Uh, come back to us next January. Maybe we'll have the same deal again. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's it's a lot of legwork for a person, right? You gotta have to you have, but you really have to advocate it is for a yourself. Lot of digging around. Um, let's let's go back to something we we briefly touched on earlier. Dan, patient assistance programs they help afford medication through uh, their insurance. How does it work exactly, and and what are the pitfalls that folks should be aware of? Oh boy! So some of these coupons are versions of from manufacturers versions of a patient assistance program. Yeah. And the deal here is. If, if a drug costs you a certain amount, you may not be able to pay, you know, through your deductible or through the co-pays to get your insurance to help you out. So the the drug manufacturers are like, well, we don't want to lose the sale entirely. We'll help you out a certain amount. And that's especially good for them if they're helping you get through that deductible and then your insurance company is kicking in for the rest. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies do not like that. They would prefer that you not uh, get this very expensive drug at their expense. And so they will say, ah. They've, they've created programs called copay accumulator programs. I don't know why it's called that. I don't know what that means. But what it means in You're practice— You're accumulating copays? <laughs> I mean, I, what, like, what? Am I collecting good. them like bottle caps? What it, means is, <laughs> what it means is they're saying, in effect, if anybody, if the drug company is helping you pay for this drug rather than you paying cash out of your pocket— it doesn't count toward your deductible. So you're supposed to pay $1,000 deductible. Well, if you got $1,000 in help from the drug company, it mm-hmm. doesn't count. You still got to pay $1,000 out of pocket. Does any of all this apply to folks on Medicare and Medicaid? Oh, what a good question. Uh, there, are, there are caveats here. And the answer is those coupons are not available to folks on Medicare or I think on Medicaid. Medicaid's a whole other situation. Yeah. But uh, federal law considers... A consideration like that coupon to be potentially called a kickback to you, the user, as if they're paying me to use their drug. Um, and so Medicare is a whole other deal, which I can't do all the ins and Kristen, how can patient advocacy groups help here? Well, I think they can definitely be a sounding board if people can find them, right? I think patient advocacy groups are really important. I think we don't know enough about them and don't talk about them enough. Um, 
They can support you. They can figure out, hey, how much can you afford? What's a good deal for you? They can give you these tips that we're talking about that you might not be aware of. I bet you a lot of people don't know that they can negotiate in a certain way, like how much your drug should cost, right? By asking for generics, by paying without health insurance, by just asking, uh, by shopping around to all these pharmacies, because it takes a lot of work. So I think if you're able to reach out and find a patient advocate, um, not only can they help you get a deal, but also there are certain patient advocates that are collecting patient stories. Mm -hmm. And so they are helping drive this national conversation about lowering the cost of drugs, which is leading to the, um, what's the name of the act? The Inflation Reduction Act that is going to get Medicare to finally be able to negotiate drug costs. So things like that, it kind of spirals into a movement Helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, as we started out talking about GoodRx, and I, I remember my initial thought is how in the world can they make these these drugs so cheap, right? How, how can the cost become so cheap? Then I thought, how are they making money? <laughs> I mean, I, I hear they're not selling data to advertisers. Right. How, how do they get paid? How, how do they? My, my understanding is, and I don't think they talk about, I, I haven't seen them talk about this publicly, but they're essentially subcontracting with the pharmacy benefit manager. They're getting those discounts. They're arranging all the things so that they are getting a little slice of every transaction. And since they're not like spent, they're not holding inventory. They're not paying for anything. They're not paying rent. Getting a little slice on a lot of transactions. I mean, there has to be something. Yeah, right. you yeah. might be right. Yeah, you're yeah. not getting a drug for a dollar for for like, <laughs> goodness of your heart. Someone's the goodness of someone's heart. Yeah. Well, but from and from the from the PBM's perspective, they're like a dollar is what we get for this anyway. When we sell it through our usual channels, we work it through somebody's insurance, we already take a dollar for this. We're now, we're, we're going to give GoodRx a penny of that. Fine. Great. We made a sale we wouldn't have made otherwise. These are some great tips, folks. We've been talking with Dan Wiseman, host of an arm and a leg podcast, and Kristen Schorsch, WBEZ Cook County government and health reporter. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us.